Welcome to the Verified Athletics Podcast. Over 1,500 athletes have already signed up for the Verified Watchlist. If you want to play college football or know someone who wants to play college football, get on there and get your transcript uploaded. You can sign up right now at verifiedathletics.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, spread the good word, subscribe, and rate it wherever you get your podcasts. Our guest today is Steve Alkenord. Steve and I worked together at Albright College 10 years ago. He was a D2 All-American at Winona State University. He's coached at Carroll College, Albright College, Winona State, Colby College, St. Norbert. He's now the QB coach and recruiting coordinator at Baldwin-Wallace. He's got a ton of experience, a lot of insight to drop. Let's do it. All right, we got Steve Opkenorth on the podcast. Uh, Steve is the quarterbacks coach at Baldwin Wallace, and he is here to share with us all his stories. So thanks, Steve. Welcome. Nate, it's great to hear from you, brother. Hope things are going well. Yeah, well, Steve and I, we worked together when we were at Albright College. That was my first job coaching football. My first job, I should say, after graduating college. Steve, what did you think of me when you first met me? <laughs> that is a burner. That's a great opening question, Nate. Nate, the best uh, story I'll give is... We all kind of arrive at Albright College together, California, Minnesota, Colorado, Wisconsin, you name it, in Reading, PA. And I think it was a camp we ran. It was maybe your second day on campus. And it was the most basic drill you could imagine. Um, and you wanted every detail on how to run it. I think it might have been with a middle school camp kid. Uh, that's when the appreciation of who Nate Slutsky was and is to this day uh, started. Uh, attention to detail guy. I love the game of football and was smarter than most. So first impressions go a long way. It certainly did with you. And we had fun for a couple of years at Albright College. I'm, su- I'm surprised that your first memory of me is a good one, but I'll take it. Yeah. Amen, brother. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I started coaching, I didn't know anything. And uh, I guess the best part about it was that at least I knew I didn't know anything. And so I could try to learn the best I can and glad I had guys like you to lean on. So that was helpful. Yeah. Timing is everything. And, uh, man, did we get to Albright at the right time with a great bunch of, of coaches, but even more important, you know, good people. So we learned from each other. You happen in a great situation, I think around great coaches, X and O's wise, but also recruiting wise and structure wise and all those things, you know, paid off, uh, professionally, but also, it was fun building a, a program at Albright, too. Three years later, we're in the national playoffs, and it was a young, energetic, pretty darn good staff that we were uh, we were a part of. Yeah, I can remember now I was from Chicago and living in Colorado, just graduated college, and I was, like, offered a job in Reading, Pennsylvania, which was, as far as I was concerned, the middle of nowhere. And I didn't even know, I legitimately thought that there was a decent chance I was going to be living like in the stadium, in the locker room. Because when I asked Andy, um, who we were coaching with at the time, who was supposed to be my roommate, where where we were living, he said that he didn't know. And that if I wanted to send my stuff, I should just send it to the office. And at that point, I was like, oh, I think I'm going to be living in the office. And I really wasn't sure. And I wasn't getting paid like hardly at all. And I was just like, screw it, let's do it. And it was a fun adventure and take taking me all the way to here. Yeah, we all took a, a little leap of faith uh, with the new staff and and John Marska, uh, who continues to be the head coach there. But 
it was all leap of faith. It was a brand new staff. We were living in offices and apartments and um, <laughs> neighbors and, and whatnot. But um, we all did it for the right reason. Um, we all kind of jumped in 100%, uh, which made it fun. We're many of us young, uh, single, eager in the college coaching profession. And uh, I think Albright College and their football program got the best of us for the, the time we were there. And you've now, I think you're at Baldwin-Wallace now, also a Division three school. I think you've been at four Division three schools. Maybe I'm mis miscounting and, and at least one Division two school. Um, what do you think makes them different, you know, better, worse, you know, what what is it that people should be looking out for when they're trying to figure out the differences between these different schools? Yeah, I think for any prospect, your fit and your eventual home is really important. And, and sometimes level does take in consideration, you know, the options you have and what your experience will be for four years. So, you know, I was three years at Albright College, a, a liberal arts school, good academics, a degree that carries some weight when you're out of there, but. Certainly the emphasis in athletics was there, played in a very good conference in the MAC. From Albright, I went back to my alma mater, Winona State University, scholarship level, Division II in the Northern Sun Intercollegiate Conference. And that was, A, a great experience. But, yeah, you, you as a player in your four years, it's somewhat different. Um, in spring ball, you've got full pads. The commitment academically um, is probably a little bit more time-consuming, especially in the spring. Workouts, you know, in the morning, four days a week. Um, and, you know, you're on scholarship. So there's a different aura about your experience and maybe the makeup of the locker room there in terms of who's on scholarship, who's not, who's making X amount of money per year and who's not. Um, in Division three, you don't get that. You know, here in the Ohio Athletic Conference, I do think it's one of the better brands of football in the country. Um, we got kids here that love the game of football. Uh, they want it to be a part of their college experience. So it goes hand in hand what that four-year experience is all about. But at the end of the day, there is a short separation. I think skill and talent-wide behind Division two, Division three, one AA, FCS, you name it. Um, more importantly than anything, it's about a kid's fit academically. I think socially is huge. And then certainly the football aspect and athletically has got to be a fit as well. And you guys are kicking ass this year, right? What do you, what's your record right now? Yeah, currently we're six and one overall. Um, we got three games left in our regular season. Uh, a big one coming up this weekend. Kind of talking about the first kind of playoff experience in week number eight here as we finish out and hope to make a run to the national playoffs. I would imagine, I, you know, I don't know the landscape these days all that well, but I would imagine you guys are probably like a win and you're in, like as far as like winning out the rest of your games and you guys are in the playoffs and probably one more loss is, is enough to do you in at Division three level. Yeah, in the Ohio Athletic Conference, um, the appeal is, A, you're going to play some of the best football in the country. Um, on the flip side, uh, there's a team we haven't quite figured out yet. It's won a bunch of national championships in Mount Union. Um, so that's our single loss in week number four this year. Um, you would expect them to be in the national playoffs, and the Ohio Athletic Conference usually takes two. So you got to fit into that second one. Uh, we're hoping to do so here in 2018. And I don't know if I saw this right, but on your guys' schedule, you guys had Mount Union at home for homecoming? 
We did. Yeah. Who's that, whose idea was that? Yeah, I'm not sure who uh, who structured it, but it was awesome. Uh, it was awesome for our kids. To me, it was awesome for our university. Uh, not only to pack the stands, it was homecoming. It was community day. Uh, it happened to be a 85 degree sunshine, unbelievable weather. So Trestle Field and, and Finney Stadium was rocking. You had the one, number one team in the country and um, our kids played well. You know, it was a fun game for what it could have been for the first half. Uh, they took over and, and probably won that we wanted back. Uh, but for the university standpoint, um, you couldn't have asked for a better setup in a situation. Um, who planned it? I don't know, but a pretty darn good plan uh, to be in that environment. You can't recreate those environments too often for a college football kid. And I think our kids appreciated it. Yeah, I would say that that home field advantage probably kicks up a notch on homecoming day where you have, you know, the stadium packed, like you said, and, you know, maybe it would have been more crowded than usual by having Mount Union at, at you know, in the house, but I'm sure it was even more exciting because of the homecoming, you know, atmosphere going on. Yeah, here at BW, uh, they do game days right, uh, no matter what level of football. Um, we're 15 minutes outside of Cleveland in Berea, Ohio. Uh, it's a college town. The Browns are right down the road. So you match uh, that football atmosphere in Northeast Ohio with homecoming. Community day becomes a big deal. And uh, yeah, we were number nine, I think, overall in total attendance last year. You add the fact we played the number one team in the country, and it was fun. Uh, stands were packed, uh, kids filled the hill, uh, student population was here, and uh, hopefully we get ourselves in the national playoffs, and it'll be a similar atmosphere. I'm guessing we can host one here in Finney Stadium. And what is what does recruiting in the OAC look like? How does that compare to other places you've coached at? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the one thing that, that strikes you when you arrive here, and this is year four for me, uh, so really three recruiting cycles. The first thing that is apparent is just the saturation of schools and the competitive atmosphere of recruiting in Northeast Ohio and really the state overall. Uh, I don't know the exact figures, but you, know, you got our conference, you got the NCAC, you got Division II programs, you got Youngstown State, you got the MAC Conference in Division I. Um, everywhere you look, there's options for student athletes. There's options academically, athletically, um, big schools, small schools, and otherwise. So um, you, you're not turning over many rocks uh, to find you know, a hidden gem. Most hidden gems are going to be found by one, two, maybe 10 college coaches. So you got to put in the work, certainly put in the time. Uh, and there is a great competitive atmosphere about the recruiting process in the Ohio Athletic Conference. For for athletes, do you think you're mostly competing against schools in your conference, or is it really that mix that you just laid out there where you don't know who you're going to be up against? Yeah, overall, I think for the, the right kid, you know, that profile is somewhat contingent on the Ohio Athletic Conference competition and now some Division two schools, you know, that – maybe 10, 15 years ago when I played wasn't noteworthy, um, are doing well, you know, and offering a kid some scholarship money within a two-hour radius of Baldwin Wallace University or Mount Union or John Carroll University. So uh, the competition, I think, has changed the landscape a little bit over the past decade. And, you know, those are the factors that you, you compete against. Um, you know, you appreciate, but certainly you don't change the kid that you're looking for to 
to improve your program, both in the locker room and on the field. And what's the pitch? You got an athlete, you like him, but he's getting recruited by every other school in your conference. What's the Baldwin Wallace pitch? Yeah, I think there's so many neat, unique advantages to BW. Um, as I've immersed myself here, kind of appreciated the history, the tradition, um, and more importantly, I think most importantly, the people. I think we got tremendous people. Uh, the pitch, I don't know if you need a pitch, uh, but we do need them on campus. The campus itself will kind of drop an 18-year-old's jaw. Um, like I said before, we're setting an awesome college town. Uh, there's things to do and people to see. 4,000 undergrads. It's a safe environment, but 15 minutes down the road is Cleveland, Ohio, with every advantage you can imagine in terms of jobs, internships, but also entertainment. Being an 18 to 22 year old kid, you can get hit to an Indians game. Uh, a Browns ticket the past couple of years has been pretty damn cheap. Uh, so that hasn't been a problem. I know last fall, a bunch of guys went to the Kanye West concert, you know, at the queue. Um, so those things, it's awesome. What you can take out of your experience as a college football player, I think is different here at BW and maybe some competitive schools in our conference or around the region. Um, and then when you get out of here, you know, the BW name, it certainly helps. Um, sometimes it's who you know, not what you know. And we've got some successful alums in business, finance, education, you name it. They're probably in an industry that our kids are looking at. So um, those are the appeals that mean something, no matter how, um, how far you are away from Northeast Ohio when you visit. Um, the thing that jumps out at you right away and the thing that I even noticed on my on my interview here is our facilities. Um, we do have some facilities that probably are best in the country, if not the region, for sure. Uh, we've got our own football building, uh, Finney Stadium has been redone and packs it to capacity. We've got a turf practice field right behind our own weight room, our own meeting rooms. Uh, so we're blessed. It's not a a facility that strikes the chord with the, the norm of Division Three football. Um, so that's the one thing in a recruiting realm that, you know, we try to sell as much as possible. And on a visit, we get them rolling through, and they, uh, they're usually pretty impressed. Yeah, just the way you describe the facility sounds like it's a whole different ball game from any Division Three school I've gotten a chance to be at. Is it is it like that compared to the other places you've coached at? Yeah, it's certainly better. You know, I think it probably compares to most Division II or FCS level schools. We just have a neat setup um, in terms of what our student athletes and certainly our football players are offered. It's the Packard Athletic Center. It opened in 2013. You walk in and there's a, uh, a 1,200-square-foot weight room that um, you know, is all for athletes. We've got our own meeting rooms. Our players' lounge will drop your socks off. Um, even our locker room, you walk in with two big screen TVs and 170 lockers strong for everyone else. Um, right behind our football building is now a turf field um, that we can use for you know speed development in the off season, walk through stuff during the week. Uh, it's just different. Um, so if you're a football kid, you know through the recruiting process, you're attracted to those type of things and. And our facilities certainly help. Yeah, I um I had always had this theory when I was coaching. I coached, you know, a good chunk of my career at Fordham, which uh you may or may not know, well you probably know, is uh probably near the bottom of the list for FCS level facilities. 
Um, you know, our stadium was not even a stadium; it was really a field with half a stands right. and half a baseball field. And right, our, yep. you know, our locker room was newish, but still like probably average at best. And our weight room was basically a closet. And and um, you know, but we had other things to sell. You know, we had New York City to sell. We had a great education to sell. And um, you know, that attracted a certain subset of kids, and we probably lost a certain subset of kids. But I always felt a lot of times when we were going up against schools that uh, maybe had less to offer in the academics or the, uh, you know, location component, that maybe they got the guys that the thing that mattered to them was football. And we got the guys where the thing that mattered to them was not football. And that that had a big impact on our ability to be successful because we we might land the guy that everyone wanted, but we landed the guy that everyone wanted that football wasn't that important to them. So I don't know what you think about that. No, I, I totally agree with you. And I think the one thing, no matter where I've been, you know, and through recruiting, you focus on your strengths. You know, you take a snapshot of what that first impression might be and you focus on, you know, your strengths. I know visiting you at Fordham, um, things you brought up in terms of facilities are spot on. But at the same time, you hear the Fordham name and you realize you graduate with a pretty impressive degree and Right down the road is New York City. That's not a bad thing. You know, I think the things that I've developed in, in recruiting in terms of philosophy and makeup and maybe how you develop a program, you know, stem from our first year at Albright College. You know, John Marshka came from Teal, um, Teal College in Western PA. Um, you see pictures, you roll through what they built at Teal, and, and it wasn't about facilities. It was not. It was about a plan and a purpose. Um, I think a great quote that I'll always take forward is, you know, give me a football field, give me a football loan, but give me great people and I'll build you a championship program. Um, and that's through recruiting. It's sometimes not all about facilities. I think for us, it is a huge strength, uh, but it is kind of the icing on the cake, uh, because there are many aspects that you know, we talk about that focus around our people, our alums our staff um, before our kids kind of see and go wow to the facilities that they're going to get a chance to compete in, um, to sit in in meetings, to just kind of be around 75% of their day for four years. Uh, you got to find your fit. Uh, but I think for a program in the recruiting process, yeah, focus on your strength and everyone is going to find hopefully one or two or many strengths that they can kind of sell the right kid through the recruiting process to attract the right team, you know, on the football field. Yeah. And, uh, my years coaching football of all the guys I coached with, I'd say you're the best recruiter I've ever worked with. Um, which probably may or may not surprise you to hear, but I can't believe that I'm the first person to ever say that to you. Um, what do you think it is that makes you different or special or good at it? You know, I, I think, um, Number one, I think timing, it goes back to timing. You know, 2007, I get my first full-time job. We end up together at Albright. And, you know, we end up in an environment where it was a program that wasn't very good at the time. Um, so we could develop a plan, a purpose, have goals, enroll with their goals. And I think everyone bought in and we were able to go from 2-8 and eight to 11-2 and two in a three-year you know, period because of recruiting. And I think personally, it's just been, you know, myself, I try to be authentic. Um, I try to think back to 
the recruiting process when I was 18 years old and some of the coaches that bored me to death or some of the coaches I didn't want to pick up the phone. But, you know, the one or two coaches that I was really appealed to, I was appealed to because I got a chance to know them as a person. Uh, I got a chance to know their families. And that was the attraction to my experience and me kind of wondering what would my four years be like at the places where coaches attracted me to want to ask questions, go in depth about what the program is about because I was attracted to them. So um, I guess it's a recruiting style that I've carried through over the past decade that, you know, has found some success, but most importantly, I guess, Nate, it's to be authentic, you know, to be myself, um, maybe not talk all about football or, you know, what that piece of the puzzle is going to be, but I want to get a chance to know a young man and then for, for them to get to know me. And usually that's worked out pretty well um, where you can build some authenticity around who you are. Don't hide anything and you get the right kids that are fun to coach over the time that they're a college football player. What I'm hearing you say is that you want to be the coach recruiting the athlete that they are most excited to talking to. Is that that like summing up what you're saying or are you saying something different? No, I think that that can be a piece of the puzzle. I think you know, one of my general rules uh, over the course of the past couple of years, the first and second conversation I have, no matter if it's in the spring of their junior year, the first time I meet them at a camp or, you know, I give them a shout on the phone. I don't want to talk anything about the school and that. And I don't want to talk anything about football. You know, it's a general rule. I want to know about them as a person. I want to kind of, get a chance to know about their family, their interests, you know, what they're doing outside of the game of football. Um, I think many times a recruiter, a coach, whatever, you know, they'll hop into a pitch and it's not about a pitch. I think most 18, 19 year old kids now can kind of see through um, if a coach is being authentic with them or maybe just looking to make a call. So, um, that's been an approach. I don't know if I've changed much since 2008, um, but it's worked and it's uh, made it an enjoyable piece of the puzzle too. Not something that I've kind of dreaded through being a college football coach. Maybe that's somewhat different, but I do enjoy recruiting. I enjoy building relationships and, you know, seeing if there is a general fit between myself, a prospect and their family that, might make BW or Albright College or Winona State through that process, um, they're perfect fit. Because I do know that it was because of my recruiting coach that I ended up to be at Winona State a long time ago. Um, I know it was because of the head coach. I know it was because of those people and those relationships that I ended up at a place that I absolutely took as much out of and built meaningful relationships And I had a whole lot of fun, you know, for four years. So um, I think it's an important decision. It's a life-changing decision. So I think it's a neat role to be a college football coach recruiting those type of kids. And when you're, say, in the peak of recruiting season, how many athletes are you recruiting? Yeah, you know, it generally changes year by year. I think now where you're at certainly changes to – I think in Division Three, you still have to have a larger pool. Uh, the makeup of your difference makers are probably those that um, earlier in their junior year, somewhat even the fall of their senior year, are thinking about 
Baldwin Wallace University or even a top 25 team in Division Three football. Um, they're thinking about a possible Division One program or a camp that they attended this past summer, or maybe if they're getting a scholarship to a 1AA or a Division Two school. So I think that relationship needs to be kind of processed through a year, 15 months, sometimes longer. Um, and that relationship might take a break for a while because that kid um, is looking elsewhere. I did it. Uh, many do. But at the end of the day, there's got to be a mutual relationship grown to where they know you want them as a student athlete. And then you know that it'll be a fit academically, athletically, and socially for them to thrive as a student athlete. So the pool is built. Um, you try to build the funnel as quickly as possible. Uh, right now, we're still dealing with probably 300 to 300 kids. Half of those will get some scholarships and we'll lose. And then, you know, the rest, we hope to get an official visit and make a part of our 2019 recruiting class. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, you must be recruiting 100 kids right now. And if you're doing that, like, how are you How are you building 100 genuine relationships that quickly? Like, you do that better than anyone I've ever known. And that's what I'm curious. Like, how are you doing that? Yeah, I think it's, you know, being smart about your time and who you're recruiting very early in the process. I think you can look at it as a cold call, opening up a book um, and seeing who kind of fits into a fishnet. Um, and I tried to eliminate that piece of the process, you know, early in my college career. And, and maybe that's a reason why I think I've been more efficient and found some difference makers that join programs at the division two or division three level um, that fit, you know, instead of opening up a book and maybe cloak on, I, I do like to get to as many camps and basketball games. And I just like to interact with people because uh, I think if you can get a first impression and they get a first impression of you very quickly, you know, you kind of have a gut feeling well, this relationship can continue on. And maybe at the end of the day, uh, you get a commit and they get a home. So really establishing characteristics you want, I think, for for us as a program here at BW, it's some of the same characteristics that we had at Albright College building a program. We did a nice job uh, building it at Winona State, Colby College. Um, it's systematic and it starts with character and leadership. You know, I don't really call a kid that I don't think I'm going to enjoy coaching. You know, that was a quote from Bill Belichick I took a long time ago that resonated with me, and it makes sense. You know, if I didn't really love a kid at a camp or watch him on a Friday night, I'm not going to recruit him, you know. But I think that talks about character and leadership and, and finding out about a kid as much as possible before you start picking up the phone and making calls. Two, you got to find out academically if they're qualified and really a, a piece of that is, are they a dreamer that wants to be challenged academically? They want a meaningful degree. They're going to fit into that system to compete in everything they do. Um, and they don't want kind of easy street. BW's got a great reputation academically. We can't get in everybody. But also, you kind of know the kids that you can push academically and on the football field. The third thing is find kids that love the game of football. You know, and if there's any type of 
maybe, maybe not that I'm playing college football, I'm usually apt to drop them pretty early in that process um, because you and I both know it, it's not easy. Um, a great stat to keep is 5.8% of high school football players go on to play college football. You know, 1.8% finish their four or five year career as a national average and walk out on senior day and say, I did it. I finished. Um, that's a pretty good attrition rate. So if you love the game of football, you're willing to kind of go through the peaks and valleys, ups and downs and finish, you know, and the fourth characteristics is, are they a difference maker? You know, I'll be honest. I think that's one thing that I learned from you, you know, and, and I thought we did a good job of, at Little Albright College to change a 2-8 and eight team into an 11-2 team. Um, don't recruit those kids that aren't going to help make you better as a program with the goals established. Be that to go from 2-8 and eight to 5-5, five and five, or if your goal is to win a national championship, go recruit kids that can help you win a national championship. So I think instead of making it an overall kind of throw some darts at the wall and hope that you pick up some kids – those are the characteristics that I've believed in. They were kind of established all bright, changed throughout the years a little bit, but we have here at BW. And individually, no matter if it's as a recruiting coach or recruiting coordinator, kind of building a plan for your staff, uh, that's what we've hung our hat on, and that's what's worked out pretty well. And what can an athlete do to to fit that criteria better? Like, you know, there's like certain limitations to how much better they're going to get at certain things, but I'm, I've got to think that there's ways that they can put themselves out there um, to show a coach that they have A, B, C, D, all the things you mentioned? Yeah, I think the three things that I tell student-athletes all the time is, is, number one, to establish yourself as a difference maker, make sure that your film is out there and develop the right way. Um, I, I've been around coaches, and, and I won't say that I don't watch an absorbent amount of film, but uh, – if you got a five minute highlight tape, wow me in the first two minutes, the first two plays, you know, you get one opportunity to make a great first impression. So make sure that there's a wow factor on your tape, no matter what position you play. The second thing is, is make sure that the first, you know, if a coach asks you, hey, what's your GPA? What's your test score? I am very turned off by the answer. I don't know. Um, if you know that you averaged, 6.4 yards per carry your senior year, but you don't know your GPA, that's a red flag. That usually means you're not going to be qualified academically, or if you are, you ain't going to make it as a dreamer that wants to graduate with a meaningful degree. And then, you know, we rate guys, and I think this is huge on what we call an acronym CCL, communication, character, and just leadership. Um, Communication simply, hey, do they get back to you? And nowadays, it doesn't matter if that's a text or a DM on Twitter or whatnot. Um, if you reach out as a college coach, you know, are you getting communication back? That's a piece of the puzzle. Character is obviously a rating if you like the kid or not. And then, you know, do they have the factor, the it factor of being a leader? And if that's the case, it's a plus in their kind of uh, – recruiting chart because I think that's something that you want to add to your locker room as you develop a championship culture. And do you think of that CCL? I never heard that before. I think that's interesting. Um, do you think of that as being a pass fail or do you think of it as being 
like a spectrum? Like some yeah. guys are great, some guys are okay, or is it they either have the thing enough where you'll take them or they don't? No, that's a great question. We, we use it as a spectrum. That's how I look at it. It's rated 10 being the highest, one being the lowest. And, you know, at times it, in a scholarship atmosphere, you know, you've used that and it's been used in the past to say yes or no. You know, if there's a position, you know, you're going to scholarship, um, the position coach, the coordinator and the head coach kind of all say, you know what, they're pretty – pretty similar and talent level they're similar and um, what their makeup might be over the next four years well let's take a look at the ccl and do you love the kid can you stand on the table and say he's going to be fun to coach for four to five years but here you know it's also used as a kid that you you develop and maybe take a shot on um he's an inch too short a step too slow but his ccl is through the roof um, so you realize those kids are going to be your 1.8 percenters, are going to be the kid that survives through his freshman year, maybe at the JV level or red shirting. And by the time he's a junior, he's invested in the weight room. Um, he's on your academic board. You know, he's probably on some leadership council on campus. And um, you can sell him in every which way, shape or form in terms of your program. And then he's probably going to find a way to get on the field and help you win championships. So yeah, that CCL is important. It's a spectrum rating for us in the recruiting process. Yeah, when we were at Albright, we had uh, we had a rating system. It was one to four, from what I remember. And one existed but didn't exist for some unicorn. reason. Hey, for, Nate, the unicorn. Yeah, for some reason, uh, <laughs> for some reason, it existed that it like, but no one ever got rated a one. So that right. was that was basically it, off the scale. Yeah, it, it 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 existed on the spectrum, but no one hit that spectrum. <laughs> yeah, what was like? Yeah, in case if you get um, Emmett Smith coming back, you know, as a freshman in college, and he's going to be as good as he was in the NFL, that's your one. And then two was your big difference makers. You probably get a couple of those guys. You know, maybe five percent of your athletes that you're taking are twos. And then um, then we had threes. That's like the majority of your class. And then fours for the most part were rejects except for we had something called the G4. I think that's what you're describing right there. The G4, those the G4. were the good those were the, it, those are the good fours. The G4, no doubt. Those guys were the guys yep. that didn't have the athletic ability, but or you know, they were close enough, right? They, but they they weren't like complete non non-athletes. But they, you know, they were someone that athletically you wouldn't take, but you love them. And so right. you just want to take a shot. No doubt. Yep. And you know, it's funny. You know, that rating system was such a it was the makeup of, you know, who we are in that development. It has changed and, and kind of been reconfigured throughout my college coaching career. Um, but uh, overall, it has kind of systematically stayed very similar. Uh, here at BW, we still have the two-rated young man uh, that we believe is a difference maker. Uh, not easy to be a difference maker on the Ohio Athletic Conference, but um, if you're a two, we would expect you to step on campus as a freshman and contribute in some way. You know, your talent level says that you can play as a four-year guy and athletically compete in one of the best conferences in the country as a true freshman. Um, a three is someone that, you know, you hang your hat on, you win conference championships and playoff games with. Uh, they may not play as a freshman, but they're going to contribute as a sophomore, start as a junior, and I think three-rated kid you hope will compete to be a captain, an all-conference player as a senior. 
Um, the G4, uh, we dropped the G at least here um, at BW. He's a four. He is the get it done and then some guy. Um, he is your proverbial quote unquote walk on, you know, candidate. Um, growing up in Wisconsin, it, you, you liken it to what they did with a number of All Americans and, and captain type players that maybe weren't scholarship, but uh, were the hardest workers in the weight room on the field, and many of which, you know, ended up playing in the NFL. Well, we'll take the four rated kid that, um, is an inch too short, a step too slow, but he loves the game of football. He got great grades, and he'll run through a wall for you. So their level, their CCL level will be very high. Uh, my belief is that you win with those type of kids, but in the makeup and developing a program, uh, you can't take too many. Um, you have to have the right balance in your locker room, and your four-rated kids got to carry uh, the philosophy. It's got to drink the the lemonade, the Kool-Aid, if you will, um, believe in what you're doing and uh, and help you win. But I think qualifying that in terms of numbers, like you said, Nate, you know, the 5% tech, that means something. And I think that's where uh, we're doing it well here at BW, why you see us at 6-1 and one right now, why I think I've been able to turn some programs around because of that. Um, if you believe in that, that qualification and are able to rate those guys correctly two three and four i think you're able to mold and build a college football program that can compete at a championship level and do you think division three schools are following you know they, they probably have their own words for everything but do you think that they're basically doing that across the board at most schools that or something similar to that or do you think that that's pretty unique to our experience yeah i'll, I'll be honest i think it is somewhat unique you know and i think that's maybe an advantage that we took from our experience at Albright, uh, you got to give a lot of credit to to John Marska and, and the people that helped him early in his college career kind of establish that system. And if you believe in it and then you don't bend from it, um, I think you're able to build something special. Um, your twos are going to be guys that you got to work for. Your yield on those guys aren't going to be great, but they're going to help you win. Uh, your threes are the the backbone of your program, uh, you've got to rate and evaluate the threes to the best of your ability. And fours are guys that are going to be your coaches on the field and, you know, are one or two year players that can make your special teams the best in the country. Um, but when you don't deviate, and, and I think, like I said before, one thing I learned from you is, you know, if, if you don't bend from that and you really are honest about that evaluation, um, you're able to get those kids over and over and over again. And eventually it's tougher to be a two then uh, as your program gets better. It's tougher to be a three. And you just continually recycle better football into your locker room. And that's, uh, you know, that's been the fun part here. Um, certainly I think we've gradually gotten better with the talent level um, in a tough conference. And it's showing up on Saturday afternoons now. Well, I think it goes both ways. Your as your talent gets better, it also becomes easy. You know, it's harder for players to come in and make an impact. But you also sometimes open yourself up to getting more talented kids because they're looking at you and you're instead of being two and eight, you're eight and two. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the staff at Winona State that I was around, uh, someone said this and it it stayed with me. The best recruiting tool you have is winning. 
you know, and that's the truth. Uh, people want to be a part of winners. Um, I've seen it for three years in terms of what winning in, in that culture is all about, but it's got to show up on Saturdays. So that's a, a helpful tool no matter when you're six and one. Um, the guys in purple down south here in Ohio and Alliance, um, they won a lot. And to their credit, I think the recruiting piece of the puzzle for them does become a little bit easier, attracting at least the right player, and then obviously getting them to believe in a culture. Um, looking to do the same thing I think any program is, to win at the highest level and attract the best talent. Yeah, and I still had a couple questions um, going back to the rating system you guys are using now. The first thing is with the the CCL. Um, do you think – Looking back, if you, do you ever like look back and say four years later, here are the guys that we rated as high CCLs, here are the guys that we rated as low CCLs, and maybe even the guys that you didn't get or, or chose not to recruit went elsewhere, and then say, like, have any sort of sense on whether or not you can actually predict that well? I mean, my experience, you know a fraction about an athlete the day before he arrives on campus to what you know a week later. And my, my thoughts on who was going to be high CCL versus low CCL um, if I were like to go back in time and apply that rating to them, a lot of times wasn't all that accurate. So I'm curious what you think. No, I think that's a great question. Uh, you go back and, and actually John and I, you know, did this in the three recruiting classes we pieced together at Albright. And I've continued to do this now through my college career. You kind of track who you brought in, who you lost and the reasons why maybe they didn't develop for you as a student athlete, the way, you had planned and it really goes back to the four characteristics that you've set out you say, okay, do they have high character and leadership? Are they academically qualified? Do they love the game of football? Are they difference makers? And the kids that don't pan out when you really qualify and quantify this now in terms of a recruiting process, you probably you know, overlooked one of those aspects, at least, you know, did he really, Love the game of football. Okay. You know what? If you're honest with yourself, you know, that conversation is junior year when he was at a, a camp and he goes, yeah, you know what? I might go to aeronautical school or I might, you know, decide to go to X school or Y school because they got a great chemistry program. Well, if that's the case, then there's something in the back of their mind that is saying maybe football I don't need in my college experience. And just you know, to clear that up, I, I think I hear what you're saying, but I want to make sure it's not lost on the audience. But yeah. you're saying like a school that maybe doesn't even have football, I think is what you're saying. And like they're Big attracted time. to it. Not that they're attracted no. because they're interested in academics. Like that's not the thing that you're pointing out. It's that no. they would consider going to a school that doesn't even have football. Very correct. You know, and here in this area, like if a young man says, hey, Toledo or Bowling Green or Ohio State or Ohio. Okay, that's uh, great. Well. They're not recruiting you, okay, so then you know that there's a thought they may not play college football. And is it always a red flag? No, but I think it's certainly one thing that you take in consideration when you do rate a player and you look back and say, okay, was that a fit? Most often then the answer is no. They had a thought that they didn't need college football. I think the right kids, the 1.8, no matter if you're at Florida State, Notre Dame, Baldwin Walsh, or anywhere else, Football is a part of who they are. It's a part of who their core, you know, person is. It's the time that they give to their daily life to the game of football that is meaningful. So 
I think, yeah, it is a, it's a fun process to track. I think you have to do it as a quality recruiter. We've done it here over the past three years. And those kids that you're able to check mark off character, leadership, academic ability, love the game of football. And, you know, were they able to help us win? Um, and, and were they able to, from a talent standpoint, play here at BW and the OAC? If those are true, then they're probably going to stay and they're probably going to be the right fit. And you can reflect back on your scholarship recruiting days when you were at Winona, but I felt like when I was recruiting scholarship, um, the goals were a little different. I mean, obviously the goal is to win, right? But the goals were a little different because the number of athletes you were going to bring in were going to be a lot less. And the odds that they were going to stick it out for four years were much higher. Um, and so uh, the you you mentioned like three things. I think three things, maybe there was a fourth, but it was basically like athletic ability, academic ability, your CCL score. And when I was coaching scholarship, it felt like academics and CCL were kind of like a pass-fail. They either had enough of it to to cross the threshold, and then once they crossed the threshold, they were ranked on athletic ability, essentially. You know, maybe not 100%, but, but basically. Uh, because, you know, you're not as worried about a guy failing out of school. You're not as worried about um, them, like, just quitting the team because they're not interested anymore. Because they got a scholarship that is going to hold them in there through those tough early days. And then they'll get over the hump and then, you know, they'll they'll grow. Um, so that was my experience coaching scholarship where in D3, you're you're really looking for – your difference makers are going to be the guys that are going to be there for three or four years. That's what's the difference. How many guys can you get to stay for that long, essentially? Um, so I don't know what you thought, what you think about that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you 150%. Um, I think my experience at Winona State – where as a recruiting coordinator, you were in charge of a scholarship budget, you know, and had to kind of fit the pieces to make sure you didn't go over that budget and decide, you know, what player at what position was a $5,000 kid, what player in what position was a $1,000 kid. Hey, was there a $10,000 or a $12,000 a year kid, which Division II football at the time, you know, was a big deal. Um it did add a little bit of pressure. It maybe felt like you had to be spot on and you dug a little bit deeper to CCL than otherwise. Um, I took that experience and, you know, for the 2012, 13 season, I was at Colby college, um, a very high academic little Ivy league school. And so your recruiting class was between 20 and 25. Um, you had to find and identify some kids that you know you you probably could take academically that may not be able to get into some of those schools on their own. So those experiences where your recruiting class was smaller and where your resources had to be a maybe quote unquote a little bit more spot on, I think it's helped in recruiting the Division three atmosphere much the same way. You know, I think it's easy to. Um, make amends or maybe not follow a system and try to just bring in and make it a numbers game. The more you get, the better off you'll be. Um, whereas I think some of those characteristics that I, I believed in, that we believed in at Winona State, that I learned from guys as well, and the qualifying who your high scholarship guys were, who you tipped into a Ivy League school, um, that's carried on. And I think that's where it's not about quantity, it's about quality. 
it's about those that will stay for that four-year experience because as, as you alluded to playing with seniors at 22 years old um, is probably going to make you a whole lot better on the field than playing a bunch of 18 19 year olds that's in a cyclical cycle because you can't maintain and retain those kids in your college football program yeah, you're going to be in a lot of pain if your best players are all freshmen and sophomores, that's for sure. Yeah, we've been there before. Sometimes it doesn't go as good as you want. Oh, yeah. And uh, you mentioned your time coaching at Colby, and I, I might have almost forgotten about that. But uh, Colby's in the NESCAC, which is, like as you referred to, the Little Ivies. Um, a lot of athletes seem to know those schools, at least especially in the Northeast, better than other D3 schools. Um, and so they, they do come up a lot as like a stop for, especially high academic kids. Um, what, what kind of athletes should be looking at one of those schools and what's like, what do you think the football experience is there like versus other places that you've coached? Yeah, I think that experience for me, was awesome. Um, number one, because I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So Amherst, Williams, Kobe, Bowden, Middlebury, I had never freaking heard of. Um, <laughs> Me neither, by the way. I grew up in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, so there's, there's no doubt in my mind that the Little Ivy League, the Ivy League, I never thought uh, I would see, much less know them by name. Um, so that experience helped me just kind of personally kind of build an appreciation for the that conference, New England as an area, the Northeast, whatever. Um, in terms of the kids that should be looking, well, number one, uh, they do drop your jaw in terms of the kids I was able to coach based on what their freaking GPA was and their ACT score was about probably double mine at the time. But um, it's an awesome experience to take away from it. The football aspect that is ultra balance with the academic rigors and then what you're in would be with an internship a fortune 500 company and the handshakes you get a chance to make as a student athlete i think was awesome um so i think there's an appeal no matter if you're at princeton or yale or even like you were at fordham but colby bowden whatever if you have the ability to get in or have a college coach get you in, uh, I think it's an opportunity you got to take a look at just because it sets you up pretty damn well moving forward in your life. Yeah, so you think that, that well, well, I guess from a football perspective only, how would you compare it? Not take away the academic piece of it. Should like a, if a player that like has the grades to get in but is not like that into it and uh, the football is really important to him, do you think that there's a step, like I don't want to say down, but definitely a, like a different step? Yeah, it, it's it's a different atmosphere. It's a different animal. Um, the NESCAC all the way around uh, starts with simply your roster numbers. I think the limit is 75. Um, so you're almost kind of coaching an NFL type roster based on numbers. Um, the second thing is based on numbers roster. only, I think <laughs> based on numbers only. Yeah. And then the second thing is just what you know, the recruiting aspect brings you. Um, you're going to get a, a chunk of kids that you're able to to band or tip in. Um, there are going to be some pretty darn good athletes usually, but the makeup of your roster are going to be kids that get in no matter if they're an athlete or not. So that means they've got the 32, 33, 34 ACT. 
um, there's not a lot of those people around in the country. Uh, so it makes it an interesting makeup of your roster, no doubt about it. Um, I think the coaching in the NESCAC is outstanding. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the fact that a lot of coaches will stay there for a long time. So not much attrition, um, but coaches that take the time that they have. And if you want to, heck, I, I learned football. I learned a lot of it because I was given the opportunity to coordinate, to dive headfirst. And with a little bit more time without spring recruiting travel, um, because you don't get off the road, it was about hopping from university to football program to college coaching and friends to learn, to ask questions, X's and O's. So, um, yeah, I buy that time. I think it's a unique experience. Stadiums, atmospheres, the whole deal, traditions. Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I know when I was coaching at Fordham, I really valued getting to coach smarter guys. Um, I think it just made the whole thing more enjoyable. I don't know if you had if you had that experience as well. Yeah, I think it was just, uh, you know, they were going to be there. You know, I mean, I can't think of one in really three recruiting cycles that left. You know, if you recruit them, you knew they were going to be there until their senior year. Um, that was different. You know, there was really no off-field issues, not too many anyhow. You know, uh, they showed up on time. They made lists. They were excited about practice. And then you know, they were involved with every other thing and aspect of their life to an nth degree. So, yeah, it, it was it was different. But once you kind of, I think for me anyhow, it took six to eight weeks to middle through the differences, um, the fact that maybe you didn't have as many meetings as you would like as a football guy, uh, you missed out on, you know, on the field spring practice and those things. You did appreciate the unique aspects of the Ivy League. I think that area – and then what the experience your kids had, I think, was uh, second to none. Yeah, that makes sense. And now you're you're at Ball and Wallace. You know, you're you're not. Co you know, I don't know what it's like. But I imagine it's more hours than say coaching at the nice CAC schools. I feel like that's one of the things a lot of the coaches like about it is it's a little bit more friendly to having a life outside of coaching. Um, but you're back. You're back at ball and Wallace and you're probably working a hundred hours a week. And I know in you, you're maybe even more. I remember when, when I was coaching with you, you would be at the office at like three in the morning on a regular basis. And that's, that's the life for a lot of coaches and for most coaches, but you have a baby now. How's that working together? Yeah. How about it? Uh, the dad game is awesome. Slutsky. Uh, I've got a, a baby boy that is a seven-month-old. Um, he's a rock star. Yeah, being a dad is awesome. Um, you know, one aspect that's changed personally for me is, is as you knew me at Albright and uh, coaching football and being single, there was a whole heck of a lot of hours. And outside of maybe a couple nights out that we had, uh, I was in the office sometimes through a pillow and slept. Um, maybe the best thing that happened to me is uh, meeting my current wife, um, who gave me a, a little bit of a balance in terms of what this profession's all about, what you can take, take out of it, but the appreciation that you're just not a coach. Um, it's been fun being married to Bridget, um, starting a family with Vance. And, uh, you know, the one thing I promised her is that I would make it home so there was no more sleep in the office. It's made my life, I think, a little bit better. Um, there has been a balance. You can be 
a workhorse and do this thing the right way, but you can enjoy it a whole heck of a lot more with the people around you. And yeah, being married, being a dad, Slutsky, it's been fun. It's been a new role, but uh, it's pretty rock star. Yeah, I'm 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 liking it on my end. Do you find um do you find yourself being more efficient with your time because you have to be? Oh, no doubt. You know, there's no doubt about it. Um, I think the efficiency of great coaches is apparent when you become a parent. And I think Jim Hilbert, our head coach, does that in an unbelievable fashion. Uh, efficiency is his middle name. Um, there's really no reason to waste time uh, doing menial things when you can be focused on build a program with the winning philosophy that we have here and, you know, certainly recruiting in a way that's efficient as well. So I have become more efficient. I think I've become better as a coach because of that efficiency, but you add a balance and uh, the people in your life that are meaningful, like, you know, now my wife and, and son, it's fun. You know, it makes that aspect of coaching. I think it makes you a better coach too. I think I'm a better coach around our kids here in our program because there is that dad vision that you gain pretty quick uh, once you you start that role and you start playing that that piece of the puzzle into your daily life. Well, that's great. Well, I know it's uh, getting late. I'm going to let you run, get out there, and and uh, who do you guys have this weekend? Who you guys got to take down now? Slutsky, we got Marietta College on the road. It's a big one, two six and one teams uh, going face to face. We're looking forward to it on Saturday afternoon. Well, uh, I don't know if this is going to get out before the game happens, so I'm going to just root for you. And by the time this thing airs, hopefully you guys are seven and one. You the man, brother. I appreciate you. See you, Steve O. Good luck. Steve is the best recruiter I ever worked with. He's an extreme extrovert and he has an absurd amount of energy. I think he's a great recruiter because he really loves it. I think most college coaches view making recruiting calls as the worst part of their job. Steve's got a passion for it, and uh, I think that passion has an effect on the athletes that he's recruiting, and it shows in the results. It really makes me think about making sure I'm spending my time doing things that I'm passionate about because I'm going to be better at them, and I think people, you know, you should do the same. Thanks for listening. If you find our content valuable, share it. That support makes it possible to continue to provide helpful and free content to all of our listeners. See you next time.